Hey, Collaborist, I'm Ben Leroy. And I'm Jason Buckles. And you're listening to Collaboracast. How's it going, Jay? I'm doing all right. It is a chilly morning here, as it has been. Um, supposed to be warming up. We've, we've get, we're getting chilly mornings, chilly evenings, with a little spike into the 60s, 70s, kind of mid-afternoon. I just want to point out that having just come from your fair state and having enjoyed a lot of your weather for the last couple of weeks, Today is my first day back in Wisconsin, and it is currently, according to the app on my phone, 40 degrees, 40 degrees. When I woke up this morning and went to the grocery store, it was 31 degrees, a little bit below freezing. I know that the chilly days are are definitely here. We're supposed to also get back up into the mid 70s by the weekend, so I don't, this is where I just get headaches relentless headaches because the weather i blame it on the weather whether or not there's any scientific i don't know strongly worded weather and all that uh but it it totally totally gives me a headache literal headaches from just the temperature fluctuations yeah unpredictability of that midwest and if you'll allow me uh, a little bit of quack science e stuff too there's also something about the way the sunlight hits. And I mean that in the, the way it comes in through the windows. I don't know if it's lower on the horizon. I don't know what the deal is, but it seems to, I seem to also be susceptible to headaches because of the light. So this time of year, it's just one constant headache uh, after another. So knock on wood, doesn't happen this time. I wanna thank the people of California for being wonderful hosts, including this guy over here, Mr. Buckholtz. Uh, I just had a really wonderful time, worked on my novel for two weeks straight, did a whole bunch of painting, got to just hang out, and that, uh, that felt pretty good. Those of you who witnessed, watched the previous two episodes of the podcast, got to see Jason and myself as a in-person team, doing these episodes i got a lot of feedback from people saying that they really enjoyed that i enjoyed it as well and i hope that there is a day in the future where we've got a collaborative studio and uh we can just do just the straight up nightly news version of of the podcast <laughs> i enjoyed it too so i um yeah you, we just got to get you out here in california now and, and yeah for yeah. sure for sure. And it's and the cost of living is very cheap. Oh yeah, completely reasonable. Oh my god. <laughs> Nothing like $7 gallons of gas. Oh man. And just things where I would like go out and I would be getting lunch and it'd either be me or me and someone else. I'd be, "All right, that's going to come to about 25 or $30." And then the bill would show up and it'd be like 70 and I'd be, like, "What? Where how?" You probably got cheese on that. (laughs) That was my mistake. I got cheese on the grilled cheese. (laughs) Actually ended up going to uh, that Dharma restaurant that you and Charna went to for my birthday. Yeah, yeah. I drove by there on our... Great, great food. But yeah. And 
And this is me also having to acknowledge that some of the things that I believe in require different levels of investment from the people who are trying to run businesses a certain way. And if that is more of what the actual cost of something is so that people can have a living wage and that people can live and have a roof over their head and have food in their bellies, then, okay, like, then that's what should be paid for. We shouldn't be looking for the cheapest possible thing if it means that people can't actually afford to live. Right. And I think it also has real repercussions with what you're putting in your body. So you, you know, there, there are McDonald's is in that same town uh, that you obviously bypassed on, on the way to Dharma. So that's, you know, that's. Yeah. Part of, part of the equipment there. I wanted, before we get further in and I'll also loop back around and give another reminder at the end of the podcast, but Two episodes ago, we talked about the upcoming NaNoWriMo, and Jason and I have offered to have 15-minute calls for free, no obligations, no anything, to talk to people about what their plans are for NaNoWriMo, what their book idea is, and just to kind of let, let people talk that out with somebody who's got an editorial background and just maybe we can give you some thoughts about what to keep in mind as you're working on the project. So if you're interested in that, just send an email over to info at collaborist.org. If I get a little less lazy after I've unpacked and everything, I'll put up an actual post on our website so that you can see that, get all of the details. Maybe any questions you have will be answered there. Website, of course, is collaborist.org. All right. What are we 13, talking about today? Oh, just going to say 13 days away as NaNoWriMo starts. 13 days away as of when we're recording this on Tuesday. We'll release it tomorrow. So that'll be 12 days away. Of course, you'll listen to it immediately after right. it's released. Right. All of your devices are set for <laughs> collaborcast notifications. So... <laughs> 12 days, 12 days away from when you're listening to this. If you happen to get delayed by a day or so, then yeah, maybe 10, maybe 11 days off. Countdown's on. So we'll, um, we'll sneak the calls in as best we can. We'll get them in. But there's a lot of planning that you can do to make that endeavor go a whole lot more easily for you. Yeah. I, I have a serious question that I want to ask you, but before yeah. I do, I want to, we've been taught, I came this, I came across a Twitter account called Counts as Writing. And this, I got a good chuckle out of it. It's, it's, it's quite popular. It's got about 17, 18,000 followers. But this builds off of something that we've been talking about recently. And basically, this is the, the every day, the, the owner of the account, I'm not sure who it is. Um, I just discovered this very recently and haven't done done my deep dive into it. But, uh, you know, people will write in saying, hey, I did this and this. Does that count as writing? And then this account says, yep, that counts. Counts as writing. Or they'll volunteer. Yeah, if you did uh, this and this, that that counts as writing today. And sometimes those things are actually related to writing and manuscripts and characters and plotting. And sometimes they're just you know, I stared into space for three hours today to say, yep, count as writing. 
obviously there's some tongue in cheekness going on there, but the, the question that I had and is that, well, I'm wondering if this is something that is unique to writers. Are we as, as artists, are we kind of the only group out there who is overly, perhaps not overly, but, but who spend a lot of time trying to figure out if what we're doing can qualify <laughs> as writing or not. So I would love to hear from the painters and photographers Musicians, I know you're always writing music. I've played a lot of instruments. I've done a lot of songwriting. When I was kind of playing tons of guitar and doing a lot of songwriting and I had a fragment of something going in my head, I was it's just kind of there with you in your thoughts at all times. But, you know, if you are a photographer and you're sitting in a cafe reading a magazine and having a coffee. Are you thinking this is a this is a solid photo shoot I'm putting together right here? If or if you're a paint, like I, I just I I wonder if this is I'm I'm wondering if this is something that is related to the creative process in general, or if this is just something that's kind of unique to writers. So I would love to hear from from any non-writers about how creative they get about defining their time as being related to their artistry. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's this issue of uh, insecurity and self-confidence and we want to know that what we're doing is, is valuable. I will say that as someone who is in the last couple of weeks been having fun painting, having had no training, no anything about it ahead of time. I definitely have noticed that I see things differently. I'm looking at light and I start asking myself questions like, how would I paint that? Like, how do I see that? And then I'll have an idea later for a painting and I'll be like, oh, I should paint that. What would that look like? And, I, and I'm thinking about it in my head so that when I do sit down, to actually paint, I have something going on and I kind of have a rough idea of what I'm doing, which is kind of mirrors my writing routine and how I handle doing it that way. But yeah, painters, sculptors, all of you, all of you artists chime in. What are you, what are you doing during the day where it doesn't look like you're doing your art, but really you're doing your art? Or are you much more pragmatic than us writers? You're just like, yeah, I'm having a cup of coffee right now. Yeah, and then that's I'm all this is. Just yeah. a cup of coffee. Just a cup of coffee. Like, no need to get... Don't no make this into be... a bigger deal than it is. <laughs> just a cup of coffee. Right. And and also, you know, where is, where, where is the line? You know, I think that, that the account that I came across kind of... It, it, it introduces the the kind of the the idea at least of that outer limit like what like if 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 we can say that everything is writing then what isn't you know and it's like obviously there's some parody to it there's some there's some absurdity to it but i think that it brings up a real question is like what are what like how how do we frame the other things that we're doing in in such a way and then and do we need to feel like we're just always being productive. And so we need to reframe these things to fool ourselves into thinking that this is productive or is it just okay to not be productive? Is it okay to just go and say, no, I am very deliberately not writing. I'm very deliberately doing the things right now that I refuse to define 
as writing or as creativity or as and 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 that's hard to do and that's even even for me as somebody who will go for regular long hikes with my phone turned off i still am thinking of that process yes i'm away from things i'm i'm engaging with silence as we've talked about but i'm gonna write about it <laughs> so it's like it's like I, it, I was talking to my kids about it and i was and i i it's it's the word work is so loaded with negativity with kind of the drudgery you know i hear the word work like i get good to go to work um i you know they they i was talking to them about what i do when they're not here and i was like well mostly i just i mostly i just work and that like that i i don't want that to sound as bad as it does <laughs> but then it's like i but i love what i do i get to engage with all these interesting ideas i get to help people with their stories it's it's really it, it's it's work in a strict sense but it's not work in the sense that like you're going to the coal mine you know the factory whistles blowing um so yeah i don't i don't i don't know if there's a point to what i'm saying i'm just i'm just i'm making a concept soup here yeah just see what I, it tastes let, like <laughs> let me sprinkle in some croutons with this um it's to me when you answer that question, you say work to me because we're doing basically similar stuff all day long. I think of it, and this is me putting on my pretentious philosophy, philosophy major hat, but if I'm honest, I am either actively engaging with the human condition through story, either my own or somebody else's. I'm trying to get distilled down to like, what makes this human, what makes the connection that someone's going to get? I'm either actively doing that, or I am actively trying to avoid having that conversation because it is overwhelming on the brain. If your brain is in a 24 hour cycle of like, what's important is what I'm doing right now important, because then you can't get other things done. So Really, I try to think of it as everything I'm doing, if I'm approaching it from a mindful place, everything that I'm doing during the day is part of the existence that encompasses work, art, purpose, joy, understanding. And that's, that's all fodder for all art, even when I pick up a paintbrush and I have no idea what I'm doing. Color represents certain things. So I, if I'm painting in this color, what am I saying about my state of mind at that point that I'm blue, I'm angry, I'm, I'm whatever. And um, yeah, I, I, I would probably get a little too chit chatty as some of our audience might um, worry about if I talk about this much longer. So that's about where I stand on this. Well, I think you're talking about just to, if I could distill that to it's, it's storytelling. And I think when, when one's work is storytelling, then it, you, you mentioned 
what you said about engaging with the human condition through storytelling. And that's just, that's just such a different type of, uh, it just needs to be a different word for that. I think than work, work, work and yeah. play are that like that dichotomy is, I'm not sure how well that's serving us anymore. I'm tending to my purpose. I'll try that one out with my kids. <laughs> Look, when you're eight, although, tending to your purpose doesn't mean much. Like, yeah. You'll get it one day. Yeah. Although they're a big part of my purpose too. So uh, my, my, I guess we all have various facets to our purposes. But the question that I wanted to ask you, um, you have been home for less than 24 hours now. I had the privilege and honor of being able to visit you at Wellstone last weekend. Um, it is a gorgeous facility in a gorgeous setting. Um, really is. It, is. it is really stunning. It's, it's driving up to that place is, is stunning. Um, it's a beautiful house, beautiful outbuildings, places to stay, pool, hot tub. The company was exquisite got to see you the other attendees who were there who uh one of whom i met for the first time another of whom i was seeing for the first time since pre-pandemic your hosts there at wellstone in just the handful of hours that i spent there i felt the specialness of the place i felt inspired i felt connected to the writing community to to the the work that I'm doing the the my what did you say my, my tending purpose, to your purpose my, <laughs> do the tending of my purpose that I've been doing and when you go on vacation it's it's escapist I took my kids to Hawaii it's just it's pure escapism you know you sit there you know it's like okay I've got this time it's set aside I am even whatever you're doing I'm exploring this is you know this is not normal life there's a fixed time where this is going to end i'm going to go back to quote regular life for you though being there and then for me just in the short time that i spent you were there for two weeks two solid weeks what is it like leaving that environment and coming home like the 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 mind state that you must have that I imagine that you shifted into over the course of that time there. You've been talking about painting. It's not something I've known you to do. So the inspiration, like soaking up the environment, soaking up the company of the, your fellow attendees, your hosts, the, the redwoods, the hills, the fog coming in, going out. I imagine that that all put you in a pretty different frame of mind. And now having, what, what is it like now returning and how do you how do you bring those worlds together how do you take the inspiration and the the focus and the dedication that you would have tapped into over the last couple of weeks and and what do you do with those now it's interesting because you really do get into a groove and you could get into that groove in a long weekend or a week but two weeks really kind of gets you into that groove and that routine. And I had more hours in the chair working on my own stuff for any time in the recent past that I can remember. And part of that 
we've talked before about like when you get into a sensory deprivation tank, your brain cycles through the same thoughts for about 20 minutes before it realizes it can't act on them. And then it lets go and you have a closer to sensory deprivation experience and you might get into a lucid dream state or you just might feel highly relaxed. You might fall asleep. But that 20 minute cycle applies to a lot of things in life. And those first couple of days that I was at the retreat, I was still checking my email regularly. And I was still like, oh, well, what if I have a client meeting? Or what if a client needs to talk to me today or tomorrow? And I had to get comfortable with the idea that I wasn't going to be available because I was going to be fully available for myself and the things that I was working on and what I wanted to do. And that is a real change of pace where, because we work in a world, we, we exist in a world where people are sending emails to one another at 10 o'clock at night or texting. And there are all of these disruptions. There are all of these reaching out and we have been conditioned. And for me, I'll take, I'll own all the responsibility. I've allowed myself to be conditioned that if somebody reaches out, there is an expectation of an immediate response or close to as immediate as possible. I had to let go of that and sink into the book. The initial goal when I went was I'm going to have the next full draft ready to go for readers, ready to just ready to go. But there were areas where I assumed I kind of knew what needed to be done, but when I actually allowed myself the space and the time and pushed everything else away and wasn't looking for the shortcut or the fastest way to get this thing done, but what is the best way of getting this done? And there was a lot of not typing going on where I was just thinking things through. If this, then this would also be true and this would also be true and allowing myself to go all the way down the mine shaft to see what was waiting for me down there so that I could extract it and then bring it to the surface and put it into the book. I could not, I cannot do that in the regular patterns of my life. I don't have the clarity. I don't have the space. I don't have the time. There's too many things competing for my attention. And I realized that the bulk of our more recent episodes have been talking about all of these distractions that are competing for our time. Finding a place to go for a retreat, being able to embrace it, being able to embrace the change in the patterns that give us comfort. I usually, before I left, my pattern in the morning when I was here would be to get up, go walk to a coffee shop, get coffee, get a donut, walk back, think about the day the whole time. When you're at Wellstone, there is no coffee shop to walk to. There is, there is nothing like that. So I had to either not have coffee in the morning, which is what ended up happening. I drank a lot of tea, but I didn't have that routine but I figured out a new routine that worked and I customized it to work best for me for what I needed in that moment. 
getting on a plane yesterday, being around all of the noise, all of the people, all of the checking gates, your flight's late, all of that stuff. It was a really harsh, harsh introduction back into the world, the, the, the normal world. I got home a little bit before 11 and I was still on West Coast time. So I still had energy. So I just set up an easel and a canvas and painted for a while. And then I went to sleep. And then so far today, it's a little past noon. I've had four meetings. And it feels in the moment like four meetings is a whole lot of meetings. And just it's more, more than we should be having in a week. So I'm adjusting and I want to create an environment. I told you that on Sunday night as I was falling asleep, and sometimes I get lucid dreams. If you're familiar with the term theta state, I kind of end up in a theta state. And I was like, oh, I think what we're going to do is that we need to have like, I, I saw like this old hotel that had been fixed up and that there were all of these rooms. And I knew intuitively that there were people behind each one of the doors and they were working on books or they were working on paintings or they were working on music or sculpture, whatever. And I was like, oh, that's what Jason and I are going to do is like build, build retreats for people to be able to go to and just make it so that people can go and in some ways, I saw us at the front desk as almost bouncers of the outside world, like whatever creep would be coming in of like, oh, well, the person in room eight is supposed to have a meeting with their accountant at 1030. It's like, nope, the accountant's time does not does not encroach over the, the threshold of this retreat. So, yeah, uh, any any collaborators out there in the listening audience? it's uh it's gonna be a while but we're gonna try and create a space for you to be able to come and write your books and do your paintings and write your songs we're accepting all donations yeah, of real yeah. estate especially especially semi-rundown victorians on mountaintops yes yeah <laughs> definitely we've got a pickle jar and a and a wish list for real estate <laughs> so yeah that's so that's you, that you talked about finding your way into writing processes while you were there that you said you can't do in regular life. Do you see a way to reconcile those? Do you see do, like, is that a hard line or do you feel like you can take some of those processes that you rediscovered? there and and reintroduce find find ways in find ways now to specifically you were talking about just being able to take deep dives into like for a particular scene to let that really give it time and space to let it unfold naturally rather than looking for the economical way to do it or the quick way or the like you know i got to get this scene done before whatever artificial constraint you put on it yeah, I, I think I can figure out a way to do it in the regular world, but that um, I'm going to have to put processes in place and I'm going to have to put 
time management boundaries that I have not been good about using in the past in place and stick to them and honor them. My personality type is such that if someone reaches out to me and they have a problem or an issue or they're trying to do something, I will drop whatever it is that I'm doing to try and go help them. Part of what I think I'm learning is that to be my best self, to help anybody, whether it be um, writing or just in life, that I need to make sure I'm at my healthiest. And for me to be at my healthiest, being able to cycle through thoughts about the book or the process or any of that stuff is important that I don't have those things that I know need to be done that I'm not getting to that then I grow resentful at myself or others because I feel like I should be dedicating time to this thing that I'm trying to do and I'm not and I could be it's not it's not a natural law that I'm not being able to get to it. And it's not that there are outside forces that are imposing themselves on me in such a way that I can't do anything about it. It's that I am actively choosing, even if it is against my best interest and I know it, I'm actively choosing to spend my time and my resources somewhere else. So I see the last month between my time in Salida, Colorado, and then my time at the Wellstone in SoCal um, as a loving and nurturing environment to help me put boundaries and processes in place to protect my time and my tending to my purpose. I'm going to get tending to my purpose trending on, on Twitter. Feel free to use hashtag, hashtag tending to my purpose. It's a good one. Well, let me know if there's anything I can do to, to support you. In Likewise. That. Yeah. Uh, you've been an absolute blessing already. So it, it works out well. And I, you know, I work with a lot of the people who are listening to this show and I appreciate all of the help and support that the people have given along the way. It's definitely, yeah. it's definitely helpful. I don't know why I think it's my ego calling me on this one, but uh, as you know, the Wellstone property is kind of in the middle of, it's in the middle of a forest. I mean, it's, it's, it's isolated. We were preparing lunch one day and Sally, the dog, was barking and barking and barking and looked to the back fence where we go to go on the hike and there was a woman there and Sally was barking at her so I think she was nervous about that but she was also clearly distressed and I went out and I I was like you're okay you know what what's going on and like I had this very immediate deep human to human conversation because I could tell that someone was in a state of like supreme distress and she had been mountain biking on those trails 
which seems nuts to me that someone would be mountain biking on those trails that the one that you and I walked on, like she was mountain biking that she had carried her bike all the way up to the property. She had lost her phone and she had gotten off trail and she was completely lost and she had no idea where she was. And I stopped what I was doing and got her sort of aware of where she was and where she needed to go. And um, there will always be a push and pull when it comes to assessing what is urgent in the moment and what we can do about it as an individual in that moment. I know that I have burned a lot of lean tissue wanting to help in situations where in the moment I can't. And so being able to figure out when you can help, and I believe when you can help, you should help. But when you see that there's a problem and you want to help, but can't help, you can burn a lot of energy in your brain, in your spirit, wherever. Um, so that's another kind of thing that I'm trying to be better about is knowing when you can help and how you can help and then helping. But not burning yourself out at a time when you can't help and uh, any effort that you make is going to be ultimately self-destructive, even if it's well-intentioned. Wise words. And I think that an atmosphere like that, where you have that space and that quiet can really help you to plug into where that line is, help you really figure out where 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 you end and others begin or where your abilities end and these other problems may may begin and I, I agree that when there are things that when there are important things that we can do we we have a responsibility to do them but i i too have had situations where where i've tried quite hard to do things that were not possible they're not our thing to do is what it comes down to and you can't do things for others in some situations. Like you just, you can't. You can let the, you can let the problem become your problem, but you can't, you still can't fix it, even though now it's your problem. Yeah. Man, this is kind of, uh, what do you think, Collaborators? This is kind of a different episode. Yeah. All right. Well, I want to remind people that if you are working on a goal of participating in NaNoWriMo this year, like Jason said, the clock is ticking. We're getting closer to November 1st, but we are available to just talk it out with you a little bit. Just talk about what you're doing. Talk some, about what you want to do. Some solid this plans is, can make that whole, can, can make those words, can be the difference between staring at a blank page and burning up that keyboard. Yep. And this is a place where I feel like we are able to help. And so let us help.
If you enjoyed this podcast, please remember to rate and review it wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a few comments over in the YouTube. I really, really appreciate every time we get a little email blast that says someone has commented on a video. It's a little bit of dopamine going into winter. I am like a cave bear, just storing up as much dopamine as I can. <laughs> Gets lean in the winter months. Uh, and uh, yeah, I don't have anything else. Do you, Mr. Buckholtz? I do not. Four story. For a community collaborating your own garden okay